0: Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. I've got a little disclaimer today. Okay, a little disclaimer. Um, I'm going to read for you the fine print. Okay, there's some fine print here. Let me read it for you for some of you that have bad eyes. I thought about trying to record that, you know how at the end of a radio program, then they have the guy that talks really fast, they like play really fast. I thought about doing that and like just playing it really fast. All right. Uh, this disclaimer is, is somewhat mostly serious. Okay? If you suffer adverse reactions to the use of references and quotations from the Bible, you may not want to stay in our services. At Edgewood there is and always will be the use of the Scripture. For the service today, there will be an overabundant use of Bible verses, none of which will be taken out of context or plied to meet the needs and purposes of the speaker. This overabundant use of Scripture may cause those with false hopes, which are based in a shallow faith in their own past experiences, like, I prayed this prayer, or I got baptized, it may cause them to feel anxious or nervous as they begin to rightly doubt their own salvation. Those with weak theological stances rooted in their own assumptions, basically anything that begins with, well, I just think that God is, well, you could experience confusion as you're pried away from your own self-righteous delusions. Those with strong connections to their own sins and are unwilling to embrace the repentance worked by the Spirit of God may experience feelings of anger toward the speaker, causing them to cling even tighter to their own lusts while rejecting the clear teachings of these passages. But some may be cut to the heart, though a painful process will result in a recognition of their own sinfulness and by the sheer grace of God cry out for salvation. In this process, the old self will be slain and the new self will be born, beginning the lifelong process of mortifying the flesh for the attainment of true holiness and blamelessness at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or as Paul puts it, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Okay, so basically if you have adverse reactions to overabundant use of scripture, this could be painful. I have a lot today. In fact, I know I talked about making you lazy by having them all up there, but I do have them all up there because I'm gonna have some boom, 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 boom. But even to make you a little bit lazier, um, actually this is actually more for later on, because I'm gonna go fast, later on if you're going, Wait, he said that one, I haven't heard that verse before. What was it? I copied every scripture I'm going to use today, printed it out for you. Now, I only made 15 copies. There's more than 15 of you here. So for now, if you'd like to, I'm going to pass these out. If you'd like to share, um i like to share with the person next to them for now, if you get to the end, I'll let you pass them out. If you get to the end and you're like, I, I didn't get a co- I want my own copy. Just let me know. I'll print off some more. Okay. A couple more things before we dig in. Uh, I'm actually really excited about today. Um, This is, I'm I'm delving into something that really is the most life changing element of what the scriptures teach for me personally. Um, There's really strong connections. But I want to do some reviews. So while he's passing out, let's do this review, and I'll try to do this as quickly as possible. As you know, we've been talking about the end of Thessalonians. This is the very last one from Thessalonians. And it's the last one from this final little section as well. And um, if you may remember, it's uh, talking about God's community. I'm going to use these last six messages since we don't really have a time to have a a membership class. A lot of bigger churches have got like a membership class you go to if you want to join the church. We don't have that. So I'm I'm collecting these six messages. I'm going to put them on CD if we need to. I'm going to put them uh, on a thumb drive. Uh, We're going to have them online. Um, So when somebody says, I want to join the church, for some of you, I'll probably have to put them on 8-track. Right? (laughs) I I knew somebody would need an 8-track. We'll we'll find some way. Phonograph, you know. Going to crank it. Okay. Um, But these are the six messages that... I'm going to use as like our membership class, so if you're like, I want to be a member of this church, this is, this is where I'm going to start pointing people, these six, you listen to these, boom, there you go, and then we'll do some follow-up, but this is with a starting point. I um, think it's, you think it's odd? I don't think so at all, but do you think it's odd that as we've had a little bit of an influx of new people, I also hit upon a, a section of scripture that's talking about this is what church is about. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think that God knows exactly what he's doing. All right, so real quick. Review these. I also put these in there for you if you wanted them. Uh, first message was uh, August the second. Leadership of the community that came from First Thessalonians chapter five verses twelve and thirteen. Uh, we ask you, brother. Oh, went too fast. We ask you, brothers, uh, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, and be at peace among yourselves. Once again, if you missed any one of these, uh, I don't normally do this, but if you missed any one of these, let me know. We'll try to get a copy of it for you somehow or at least show you how to get it online, um, but there's a leadership structure in God's community. That leadership structure, we're to respect and esteem those who are leaders, uh, and the leaders are those who are laboring among us, are over us, and are admonishing us, uh, ultimately striving we all ought to with, for peace with one another. Next one was August the 9th. That was the ministry of the community. Um, In Ephesians, we learn that God has called some of you pastors and teachers. Their purpose is to equip all of you for the work of ministry. So we're all in the ministry. Uh, I have a specific element of ministry where I'm equipping you to do ministry. Okay, so that's what that's about. I think the ministry is summed up very well in that next part of 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. See these three things here. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. What is that ministry basically? What is it saying? Warn the disorderly, encourage the discouraged, and assist the disabled or disadvantaged. That's what that is about. Next one was the actions of the community. That was on August 16th. And the actions of the community came from verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. This is how you are to act, okay? If you're like, what kind of Christian ought I to be? There you go, right here. What are you to do? See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone else. Do Good, don't get revenge, don't pay back, don't even the playing field. Next one was the attitude of the community, for lack of a better title than attitude. I chose attitude. Um, Attitude, and tell me if you would agree with this. I think attitude is really your perspective on life displayed, how you view life displayed. That's what you're at, and so that's what this next one is about. Verses 16 through 18, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is how you ought to be. This is the way you ought to see life. Always, in every situation, through every circumstance, rejoicing, dependently praying to God and being completely grateful in what he gives you. The next one was the spirit of the community. Spirit of the community I pulled from verses 19 through 22. We said, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And even though this particular passage demands deeper exploration, I went with my motto last week when I talked about this one, which is do what you know. And I'm telling you right now, we have a whole collected work of tested, prophetic, God-spoken material right here. And... If you were here, if you missed last week, please get it because I'm telling you right now, I hope from last week's message to stir you up to go that, so that your Bible, you don't have to every week go, I need to brush the dirt off this thing so I can bring it to church. This is God's word. You go, well, I don't like to read. Tough. God decided the way he was gonna share his, his words with you is through a book. Did you know that in... in, in American history. One of the driving forces behind having an educational system was so that people could read the Bible. Did you know that? The, the number the, there were two top-selling books in the 1770s. Number one's best-selling book was the Bible. Number one bestseller. Number two was called the uh, the prime the the um, New England Primer. It was basically a first grade how to read. And half of the the sentences in that book um, came from this book. And so it used to be in first grade when they were teaching kids how to read, they were teaching them how to read this, right? Um, But the spirit of the community, like I said, there's a lot of other things we could dig into in this, but I'm telling you right now, you've got this. Start here. Don't despise it. Cling to it. Read it. Study it. It's God's word. There's no other book on the planet that even comes remotely, remotely near what this book is. Today is sermon number six. It is the hope of the community. And the passage of scripture is this one. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There's a few closing verses after this in 1 Thessalonians. Um, verses 25 through 28, brothers, pray for us. Paul says this is just his closing thoughts. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I thought about preaching on that one, but I'm, I don't even like to hold my brothers' hands during prayer. I'm not ready to start greeting. And corona coronavirus can't do it anyway. No, no holy kisses in this church. I'm sorry. Until I figure out what this all means, well, just let's leave that one on the, the back burner. Um, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. I mean, think about what Paul says in that verse. That's an interesting one. I put you under oath. Have this read. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, have I prayed yet? Okay, so so this is the spot where I want. I, we need to pray. So I'm getting ready to jump into a bunch of Bible verses, okay? And so I want you to prepare your mind. This is where it's going to get a little uncomfortable for some of you. You're going to hear some verses today. In fact, I, I know it's true. Now, if you've been with me for a long time here at this particular church, most of these you go, I've heard these before. I've, Matt, you've hit on these at some point. But there are going to be a few of you in here that you go, I never heard that. I did not know that verse was in the Bible and you're gonna be scratching your head trying to figure out what it means. I'm okay with that, okay? I like to make people feel uncomfortable with the word of God, okay? I love it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I dig into this passage of scripture and begin to share your word today, God, I pray, number one, that if there is any element of this that is not in line with your truth, God, I ask that you would stop the entire proceedings God, I pray that you would instead have your truth presented in a way that is understandable. God, help me to know the right way to say each element of this set of scriptures that I've pulled. God, I pray that you'd help me to be faithful to your word. As you're faithful to us, God, help me to be faithful to your word. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Okay, here we go. Ready? Ready? I'm excited. All right, so I'm going to start with a quote. This quote comes from uh, John Piper. Uh, he's a pastor. And so he's, he's got this quote. And this quote comes from a, a passage of scripture. Okay, so when he preached on the verses I'm gonna preach on, this is how he started. This was his opener, right? This is what he says. He says, Va- oh, wait, you know what? Wait, don't read it yet. Sorry. I, I had in my notes here a little bit of groundwork I need to do. Um, there's some Bible words I'm going to use today that I need to make sure you understand them, okay? Um, One of them is the word holy. Have you heard the word holy before? Okay. Um, In the Bible, in the New Testament, the word holy or holiness is used about 173 times. And the the word that is, so that Greek word that is translated holy or holiness, it has the idea of something that is pure, uh, set apart for God's purposes, sacred, Right? This is special for God's purpose. that's what the word had to do. If you take that exact same Greek word and you change it from a noun to a verb, right? Which a lot of times, when you do that, the word changes, but sometimes it stays the same. For example, uh, the word "trust," I can say the word "trust" as a noun. I have trust." It's something I've got. But I, I can also say it like a verb. I'm, you need to trust this." okay? So this is the same English word, but it has the ring. The, the word holy, if you take that same word that's translated holiness, something that is set apart, and you change it to a verb, That we translate it, we don't translate it, you, you need to holy that. That's how the, we don't say that, right? They use a different word. They use the word sanctification. Same exact Greek word. The word sanctify in the Bible means to, to make something holy, or to, to set it apart for that purpose. To, you're, you're holying something okay? Uh, another Bible word that you need to know is the word justification. Justification is literally like to declare righteous. Justification is always used as a legal term to say, um, it's like the, it's the word that the, a judge would have used when he brought the gavel down and he said, this person is not guilty, okay? So justification is another one. Um, and so you have holy, holiness, sanctified, justification. There's a few other that we're going to hit, but those specific words I need you to know and understand. Uh, holiness in the Bible, and I was, I was doing some digging, and I kind of thought this, but now I'm, I'm convinced of this. I've gone through and tried to look up as many of these as I can, examples. Holiness in the Bible is, in the New Testament, is referring always to not, not the, the word justification is for that declared righteous. Holiness is for something that actually is exhibiting those characteristics. Something that actually is pure. Okay? All right. All right, here we go. John Piper, quote Vast portions of the Christian church today in America seek assurance, like convinced that they're saved. I want to know for sure that I am. Seek assurance by making holiness of life, living a pure life, being a really good, right? Holiness, you know, you know what that's, right? By making holiness of life unnecessary. Okay, now I can already see, I'm so happy. I see on your faces already some of you going, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) Okay, good. It goes on to say, if holiness of life is not necessary to get to heaven, you're going, it's not, Matt. If holiness of life is not necessary to get to heaven, then an unholy person can have assurance that he will get there. Well, Matt, you've been saying that every week. I'm banking on that. Okay, stay with me. But these people, what I'm talking about, they don't just deny that perfection is not required for entering heaven, which is true. We do not attain practical perfection in this life. But they go beyond that and say that no degree of obedience or holiness or purity or goodness or love or repentance, or transformation is required for entering heaven. You don't need to do anything at all. Okay? That's, now, I'm not saying I agree or disagree yet. Yeah, just stay with me. Okay? I'm just sharing. In fact, they say, in fact, you may be thinking what he says next. They say, if, if God required, required, it's a tough word, required any measure of practical obedience or holiness, it would do three terrible things. In fact, you may be thinking this already. You may be thinking in your head, Matt. It sounds like if you're saying you've got to be holy to go to heaven, well, that does three things. That does three bad things. You may not have thought about it quite this far, but I think I agree with what he's saying here. It, most people think this does these three things. Number one, you go, well, that nullifies grace. Number two, that contradicts justification by faith alone. That, that contradicts that. And number three, it, says it destroys the strength. We can't have assurance. If you've got to be holy to go to heaven, you can't have assurance. Okay. Let's dig a little bit deeper into the reason why I'm talking about this. Let's dig a little deeper. Some of you know the scriptures. I actually thought about this this morning when I was reviewing. I said, 10 years ago, I would have said, a lot of you know these scriptures, but I, what I have found over the last 10 years that has decreased so dramatically. Anymore, I think some of you know the idea of some of these scriptures. There used to be a time where people knew some verses and now most people, they don't even know the verse. They just go, I, it's, it was just talking about earlier. Um, I, I can't believe how many people I talk to. Their theology starts with the phrase, well, I just think that God is, who, who are you? I mean, we got this, okay? Anyway, some of you know these scriptures, at least the idea of these. Here's one that you probably know, or at least the idea of it. And you may be hearing this going, there you go, Matt, see? Boom, boom. mic drop, right? For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. So that anyone would boast, see, Matt, boom, or how about this one? You go, Matt, we just read one today. Miss Charity up there, she just read one. John 3, 16. I didn't know any other verses of the Bible, but I knew this one, Matt. For God so loved the world, they gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Amen, I'm not disagreeing with any of these. What do you think I would disagree with the Bible? No, I agree with this 100%. How about this one? Romans 3.20. You may not have known this one, but you probably knew the idea of it. For we hold that that one is justified, declared righteous by faith, apart from, separated from works of the law. So someone is declared in God's authority, in his sight, legally so, righteous based on their works? No, based on faith alone. All right, you guys are dismissed. No. (laughs) Let's bring up some that you may like to ignore or skim over. I'm gonna start with the one that changed my life, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. It's a question that the obvious answer is no. And if you're not for sure, read a couple verses later, James 2, 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. There's some kind of faith, living faith, but there's something else that goes under the, puts the mask of faith on, but it isn't really faith, it's dead. How about this one, Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and, now think about these words here, strive for peace with everyone and what else should we strive for and for the holiness without which, now remember holiness had to do with actual practical, this isn't justification. The whole context of that Hebrews passage is all about what you're actually doing this holiness in this, if it was talking about justification, it would say justification. There's a word for that. This is holiness, actual, literal behavior. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. No one's gonna see the Lord without holiness. That's what it says. You guys like how I'm throwing these up here but not explaining them? I just want you to simmer. Simmer. Simmer in the spiciness of the word of God. Right? All day. I want you to just sit in the, the crock pot of God's word today. <laughs> the slow cooker. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, I mean, if you're concerned about, if we're talking about actual things or not, this one kind of clears up. Let, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. If that's not clear enough for you, let's hit this one, Ephesians. Ephesians 5.5, 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, <laughs> something like that first part, that second part, just covetous. That is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, once again, I'm not explaining these, am I? You might be going, um, that's okay, simmer. Can you feel it soaking in, right? Maybe getting a little uncomfortable. The heat is cranking up. The very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21 talking about God's eternal kingdom. John, the writer of Revelation, says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. No one who does, does, see, I mean, it's right there. No one who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is an interesting verse because it lays on the balance. It, so you got those whose names written in the Lamb's book of life, but it doesn't say, or those who aren't, which means... The aren'ts are the ones who what? Do what is detestable. I mean, it's laid up. You're either written in the book of life or you're doing what's detestable. Interesting. If that wasn't clear enough for you, how about 1 Corinthians 6? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves? nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I love that right after this verse, the very next one, Paul says, and such were some of you. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, and such were some of you. This list, he goes, these people, I mean, just feel it, simmer. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul looks at his church, he goes, and such were, you guys used to be these people. Such were. Some of you, you were these people. Now you're these people, right? See, th- this is why there's, there's hope, hope for all. But, but let's still, let's simmer in this. Because this verse didn't go away when he said such words, some of you. This first part's still true. Let's go to Thessalonians, what we've covered recently. 1 Thessalonians chapter three, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Like, once again, blameless in holiness is not talking about some legal declaration. You're blameless legally. That's justification. That's what the Bible uses that word. It's not using that word here. It's talking about something Actual. In fact, it says, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So when Christ shows up, he's literally saying, when Jesus shows up, I want you to be this way, literally. Okay? If you're not for sure if that's what he's talking about, the next verses after this one, he just starts talking about sexual immorality. He's like, don't do this and don't do that. I mean, this is what he's talking about. And it culminates in verses seven and eight. And he says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Ooh, these are tough, aren't they? These are tough. Some, I'm gonna use the word faunch. I don't know what faunch means, but this the sound of it makes me think of somebody that goes, I don't like that, right? Faunching some at verses like this, or try to explain them away. I, I hope that none of you in this room, if you hear a Bible verse, you go, that one makes me uncomfortable, just goes, I'm just not going to think about it. I hope, we're not that kind of church, are we? know that all of these scriptures are talking about actual, practical, literal actions of holy living being lived out by the actual Christians in this real world. And I think that what you're gonna see that each of these is tying a delicate knot between this righteousness by faith that we love and what it looks like in this world, okay? Now, if those weren't plain enough, I'm going to hit on some more that that even more plain, believe it or not. If you, go to, if you ever go to yourself and you go, okay, in fact, I had this planned for later, but let me do it right now. <clears throat> when a person comes to faith in Christ Jesus, we have to abandon the idea that the only thing that happened was that there was some giant book up in heaven and God goes, Add their name. If you think that's the only thing that that happened, then you're proving that you have not been reading this. There's a whole slew of other things that happens. If you have genuine faith in Christ Jesus, there are a whole bunch of other things that happen, okay? There's more than just the gavel being brought down that says you're righteous. In fact, that passage in James I mentioned earlier, he goes on after that where he says, What, what good does it do to say you have faith and I have works? What good, what's the profit in that? He goes on to say, there's even some that go, I have faith and I can show you without my works that I do. And he goes, basically says, that's impossible. And think about it, it really is impossible. Can you show somebody faith? I mean, I can't go, I have faith. Ready? Rip. Ribs. Here it is. I trust. James says, you can't do, it's ridiculous. You can't show faith. James goes, but I can show you my faith by my works, by what I do. I mean, and that's really, isn't that how faith operates? You do what you believe to be true. You do what you actually believe to be true. That's what people do. All right, let me draw some stronger connections 1 John 1 6. The only book of the Bible that, if you go, I want to know that I have, well, how do I then know that I have faith? Well, how do I know? There's only, you may not know this, there's only one book in the entire Bible, this whole book, there's only one small little letter that uses the word know, K N O W. This is how you can know that you have eternal life. There's only one book in the whole Bible, and it's the book of 1 John. So if you're ever like, well, how do you know then? 1 John is the book. Let's explore. What John says, John, who called himself the beloved disciple with Jesus, how did he describe how he could know that he had faith? 1 John 1.6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 1 John 2.3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John two nineteen. They went out from us. You ever wonder about those people that are in church for a while but then they leave and they just walk away from the faith? You ever wonder about them? The Bible actually talks about that right here. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Or if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. That they went out, that, that that it might become plain that they all are not of us. I like this verse because it starts to draw this connection that there's something about something that you can't see about someone who's genuinely a child of God that that produces in this verse continued you see that in there? They continued. That's how I knew they were of us because they did what? They continued. I haven't heard John say any in any of these passages, and I'm only in chapter two. But I haven't heard him say in any of these. By this, you may know that you know him if you prayed this prayer when you were five. By this, you may know that you know him if you got dunked into the water. By this, you, does it, has he said those things yet? I'll tell you right now. He didn't say it. Okay. First John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Or this next one here in chapter three that you're gonna listen to and you're gonna go, I did not know that was in the Bible. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or even known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. See, you see it right there? Something, there's something that happened to the person that's genuinely saved. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I'm always thinking about John who also wrote the gospel of John and he recounts the story of Nicodemus and, and Jesus was telling Nicodemus what a person must do to have eternal life and, and Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he goes, he goes, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, can we go back in the womb? No. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and said, how are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? You should have known. But this is, by this it is evident or obvious, by this is, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, if you're one of those people that before this, you're like, Bible's so hard to understand. I don't think I, I, you're not reading in the right places. First John, sit down and read it. Is that confusing at all? It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You may not like it. You may feel uncomfortable with it, but it says what it says. I'm only halfway through first John. I'm gonna have to pause first John for a little bit. I think I need a passage of Scripture that delves into, there's a passage of Scripture that delves into not the the working of of salvation from the point of like Christ died on the cross and and his blood. There's lots of passages that talk about that, but there's one particular one that delves into what actually happens to a human being when they get saved. What what actually happens? In fact, this passage I'm going to read to you comes in Ephesians, and it, it doesn't even mention the cross. The word cross is not mentioned at all. So it's talking about salvation, but it's not talking about it from that perspective. It's talking about what actually happens to the person, okay? Now, I have to tell you, and I've got to throw in here before I share this, why this next one is so valuable. It's valuable to me. I'm going to tell you right now. All these passages of Scripture I've been sharing with you, I love them. I love them. If you're going, I don't know, I don't like them. It may be because you're still sinning and you're refusing to repent of your sin. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. I, I, I love them, and here's why. Because you guys know, I bring it up way too often. I'm a math teacher, right? I like hard evidence. And as much as I last week talked about why I believe this is God's word, I'm a natural skeptic of anything I cannot see. And so when it come, comes to my own salvation, I'm a natural skeptic. I mean, I can't, just like looking out to you. I mean, I know that verse. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could understand it? I don't believe Disney is right. Don't, I don't trust your heart, <laughs> right? It's evil, don't do it. I, I have been concerned that I would... I, I would think I'm a Christian and then get up to heaven and God goes, man, you were not. <laughs> Bye-bye. I don't think he'd say it that way. <laughs> Depart from me. I never knew you. I, see, I knew those verses. I was genuinely concerned. How can I know that I'm actually saved? The, this, I mean, I've prayed the prayer. I've prayed a lot of them. I did it more than once. Surely that, do it a few more times just to make sure. And then sometimes I'd be like, maybe that last one didn't take. I should do it again. Okay, let me ask you. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> I don't know if that last one worked. I was only slightly, I thought I was 100% serious, but I don't know if I was and... and I'm saying I'm a skeptic. But I have some rock solid evidence because the Bible talks about what happens at salvation and I'm going to get into this that that you're regenerated and a new heart is put in you and you are changed in your very nature when you come to faith in Christ. That happens instantaneously and begins to work itself out from there. I'm going to give you one piece of evidence. I've mentioned it many times here. This. (laughs) I'm standing behind a lectern preaching the Bible. Like, I know me. Me would not do that. (laughs) And I would say it that way too. Me would not do that. Um, I wouldn't. Matt, as you know, Where would I be? You guys have been here for a while. Where would I be? Where would Matt be? Margaritaville. Sitting on the beach. No commitments, no dedications to life. Soaking in the sun. Listening to Jimmy Buffett. I'd be wasting away again. There is not one element of Matt in fact, the, the first class I almost failed in college was speech. Like To get in front of people and talk, no way. But I've seen that the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead is at work in me. So I look at all those passages of Scripture and I go, that to me is evidence of that unseen. Right? You want assurance, you will never have assurance in your sin, ever. You remain in your sin, you will never have assurance. And I hope you don't. I hope you don't ever have assurance when you remain in your sin. Let's explore a little bit here, the passage scripture that delves into what goes on in the heart. Ephesians chapter two, this is this is Matt. Well, Matt, I was a pretty good kid in school. I wasn't overly mean or anything. I did some naughty things here and there, but I can tell you right now, I was dead, spiritually speaking. There was not one part of me that thought to myself, I want to live for the glory of God. I want to acknowledge the creator of the universe, that he is number one in my life. There there wasn't one part of me. I might have been like, well, I'm not going to do these bad things. I want him to keep my mommy happy and make sure my dad's not mad at me. <laughs> right? I was dead. Now, spiritual? Not a lick of that in there. I was dead in my trespasses and sins in which I once walked, following the course of this world, fond the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Every single one of us. Another way of looking at it, Paul describes in Romans 6, he says, for you were slaves of sin. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, meaning righteousness had no power to sway us. Righteousness didn't look attractive or rewarding. You know that feeling? Righteousness does not look attractive or rewarding to do the right thing. You ever, you ever had those, those of you that are saved now for sure, and you're like, I know I am. You remember those days? Doing the right thing was like, I guess. <laughs> or to, to live God's way in your mind looked like that. Man, okay, I guess I have to miss out on all the best stuff in the world. And I guess I'll live for God. See, in fact, if you're sitting here right now and you're going, I still kind of think that. You might be in this spot because you might be sitting, right, if righteousness has no sway over you at all. Why is that? Is it because it it isn't the greatest thing? No, because it is. God is the, the most magnificent thing in this whole universe and he offers relationship with him. And what are you gonna take? And if you're sitting here going, and that doesn't seem that appealing. There may be evidence of a problem in your heart. Okay? Going back to Ephesians. But God, this is Matt. This is me. I think I was two years out of high school. I'd prayed to, um, 20,000 prayers for salvation up to this point, not one of them took. And one day I read the Bible of my own accord, James 2.14. What is a prophet, my brother, if a person says he has faith and does not have works, can that faith save him? And something in me went, a boom. A light, little light switch was ticked on. Light bulb went on. And I went, I'm not saved. Because I'm not living for God. And this verse was enacted in me, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, I was dead, I wasn't wasn't like, I've got to find God, I just can't find him, where's he at? That wasn't what was going on when we're dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.22 describes that part another way. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Reasoning for this, back to Ephesians. Why why is salvation worked this way? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so suddenly you read that verse that we had at the beginning. You're like, I was familiar with that one. And you read it again and you go, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Suddenly, this isn't a ticket to live how you want. This is a realization of God's mercy. In fact, it says there that there's a, I got a laser pointer here. It says here, see this word? This is a pronoun. It refers back to something else. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Something's not your own doing. What's, what's the this referring to? What do you think it was referring to? Some of you said it. It's referring to this. See, I can dominate a dog. Right? I mean you can get to a point where you're like, sit, nigga, sit. Roll over. Play dead. Wish I was. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> right? you can dominate a dog. I mean, you can really like dominate a dog. Like, but, Some of us look at sin like that's how it is. Like we're like, I wish I could get out of this sinful situation, but sin is just so powerful. No, sin dominates us the way the nature of a wolf causes it to hunt. You see the difference? We are dominated by sin because it is our nature to sin. Of your own accord, and all of you know this, all of you know this deep down inside, because when you come to that point of faith, all of you say it at some point, you go, man, if it was up to me, I never would have, but God just, we gotta get rid of, you remember that old song? Throw out the lifeline, throw out the, li- and someone is sinking, right? That's a horrible picture of salvation. It, it, it gives you an idea that we're out there like, oh, God save me, God's like, okay, here's that's a, that's a bad picture of what Ephesians is teaching, isn't it? Ephesians says, you're dead. Let me give you a better picture. I'll paint a better picture for you. Imagine, if you will, you're on a boat. You look out. Is there a person out there? Yeah, they're not moving, though. As you get closer, you realize that body's been there a while. It's floating and bloated. It's dead. The fish have been nibbling on it. A shark has taken a toe or two. If you throw out a lifeline to that, that life preserver and it hits it, the, the best you're going to get is something's going to fall off. I mean, that's, that's about. Better picture of salvation. Jesus on this earth walked to a tomb and inside that tomb for four days had been a man named Lazarus and he was dead. And Jesus looked at that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come out. Now, in a very real way, Lazarus obeyed Jesus, correct? Jesus says, have faith in me. Okay. But before Lazarus could go, okay, here I come, something else had to happen. Every single one of those broken down cell membranes, God mended. All the, the DNA in each of those individual cells that literally very quickly starts to break down and decompose and the the all the little part and the, the, everything just falling apart. I mean, it's not working. God had to go. When he, I mean, think about it, when he said Lazarus, those words come out were miraculous words that is what the calling of Christ looks like when someone believes like calling a dead man from a grave Lazarus came out but something in his nature had to change he had to change from dead to alive back in Ephesians you read this one How about this one here? Let's, let's go to John. John says, "But to all who did receive him, who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, there's that, born, that new birth, born not of blood, nor of the will." Listening carefully. nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. They were born of God. Romans 9, where he says to Moses, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion so that it it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, not of a result of works, lest anybody should boast. When I stand before God in heaven, I will not be able to say, God, I'm so thankful for all you did, but I believe because I was smart enough to figure it out. That is not going to happen. I'm going to say, God, I never would have believed until you made me alive. Verse 10 in Ephesians, right after that, for by grace are you saved part, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there is this deeply true reality that the Christian life is a work of art that God is crafting. And frankly, for you to say, God is doing this in me, but I haven't changed a lick, is to insult the Creator. Philippians 2, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you. Both to. um, these words are so important. God who works in you to do what? To will and to work. For his good pleasure full circle First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 and this is where I, this comes together for me in a, in a love of this understanding of what God does in people Paul prays this is a prayer This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for myself. May the God of peace himself, himself, not delegated. Praise the Lord. It's not delegated out. May may the God of peace himself sanctify, there it is, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body. And don't break that down like, okay, I think the spirit's this part and the soul's this part. This is Paul's way of saying, every way you can look at you as a human being, the tangible, the intangible, the the whole thing, may God himself make you holy. Every last drop of you. That's his prayer. That you may be kept blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 says this, I'm sure of this. This is where my confidence comes from. It doesn't come from me because I'm telling you what, if you knew what was up, going on up here, the, the battles, the spiritual battles that I face like you do, I'd be like, I'm never going to make it to the end. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to endure this, this Christian life thing. I'm going to give up eventually. But my confidence comes not because I'm like, I'm going to do it. It comes because of this. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in me. I've seen, the, I've seen the evidence. I've started to see it play out. I'm like, man, God's doing something in me. I'm confident that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ or as it says in 1 Thessalonians. He who calls you, Lazarus, come out. He who calls you, there's something important about his character. I'm glad it's not dependent on my faithfulness. He who calls you, the one who did this, God is faithful and let these next words resound in your head for the rest of this week and hopefully for the rest of your life he calls you as faithful he will surely do it he's gonna do it surely he will I'm going to pray. But I know that it's possible that some of you in this room have thought to yourselves, man, I mean, you're reading those other ones about, like you got, I've recognized in me a sinfulness that ought not to be there. I mean, Truth of the matter is, you're sitting there going, I, like, let's not mince words. You're sitting there going, there's this stuff I'm doing that I should stop doing. You even thinking that might be the Spirit of God working in your heart right now, or you wouldn't even be thinking it. So so maybe right this minute, maybe right this minute, maybe if it's never been true before, maybe right this minute, God is saying to you, Lazarus, come out. He's working life in you, and you as a living being spiritually might even right now be going, I'm coming out, I'm coming out. I don't know how to come out, but I know I want to come out because I'm, I'm not going to stay in this tomb anymore. I'm going to come out. Let me come out. If you're sitting here today and you're going, I've recognized my sinfulness. I need to repent. Don't ignore that. In Hebrews, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you're sitting here today going, man, God is working on me. God is telling me. Maybe there's been some evidence going along, but you, you're kind of dragging your feet. Maybe guys, right now saying, you, you've been trying to do this yourself, but I'm ready to make you alive. And by the power of the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, I'm going to change you from the inside out. rejoice that today might be that day for you that you're like, okay, God, okay, all right, all right. Stop trying to figure out the day that you got saved, okay? Can we just stop that? Just, stop. in fact, if you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute, does that mean maybe I wasn't saved before? Now I have to mark this new date on my calendar like this is my day? Stop. Just, just stop all that. Don't, don't worry about that. all these little babies we got going around. As they do baby things, like we're today out in the foyer trying to get Darius to crawl. Darius didn't have to stop and go, now I'm wanting to crawl now. Does that mean I just now came alive or was I alive then or was I, what? When when was my point of, when did I start? When did that, it's ridiculous. If you're sitting here today and God is calling you, just, just obey and be grateful that, that you even want to do that because, because you wouldn't do that of your own. Where would that desire come from? Just go, okay. And, and embrace it and go, I think God's changing me. Old me would have been like stupid. New me, I'm, I'm actually looking at the things of God and going, I'm interested in them. And I a, a desire to to grow. And righteousness, why is it? And just rejoice in it and go for it. It doesn't have to be a come on down and pray this prayer. And no. In fact, I'm not gonna do that because I don't want anybody to then start marking, changing the dates on your calendar. Okay, maybe this was the time. Go and live it. And rejoice every time you choose to do what God calls you to do because you can sit there and go, this is evidence that, that God has changed me and I'm alive. you don't, you ought to be going, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. But then when you're over there, you go, maybe I'm not. And then God stirs within you. I'm like, I'm going to change. Then do it and rejoice. I'm going to pray, dismiss you. If you have any questions about anything that I've said today, come on down after we pray. Only Father, I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for all that you have done. God, I thank you for your great and magnificent salvation that you have worked in people. I praise your name for that. I ask that all of us, Lord, would, would look to this great salvation. It would not neglect it, not ignore it. but praise you for it and rejoice as we see its work in us. I pray these things now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.